0: I really think that the first thing we need is to begin investing in real understanding and dialogue. When you get down to the values that people hold, values about family, about community, about diversity, about opportunity, we're actually a lot more in alignment than our national politics reflects.
1: Welcome to Infinite Earth Radio. And Vernice Miller Travis.
2: Welcome back to Infinite Earth Radio, where we talk with thought leaders and change agents who are transforming the future by building smarter, more sustainable, and more equitable communities. This is your host, Kate Meese, Executive Director of the Local Government Commission. Our regular host, Mike Hancock, is off today. Today is our guest. We have an old friend back as part of a series of episodes leading up to the New Partners for Smart Growth Conference which will be held in San Francisco from February 1st through 3rd. New Partners is the nation's largest smart growth and sustainability event. This year, the program will span over three days and will feature tracks focusing on a range of topics, including rural communities, water, climate change, transportation, health, housing, smart growth, and inclusive prosperity. It's going to be a really great event. You won't want to miss it. So make sure to register now at newpartners.org. On to our guest for today. Steve Frisch is the president of Sierra Business Council. Steve is a champion for enmi- environmental stewardship and economic prosperity in the rural Sierra Nevada region. Steve Frisch joined us back in September of 2016 for a four part series we did on climate adaptation. Steve, thanks so much for coming back on the pod.
0: Thanks, Kate. It's a pleasure to be on again, and I'm really looking forward to the new Partners Conference in San Francisco.
2: So, Steve, when we... Last talked, the country was in the midst of a a very polarized presidential campaign. Reflecting back almost a, a year later, a little over a year later, actually, from when we first did the podcast, what do you think the national election in 2016 said about the state of rural regions?
0: I think it was a surprise to everybody. To some extent, it was also a surprise to me living in a rural region, but I don't think it should have been a shock that was unexpected. If one looks at the data across the country, rural regions really have fared very poorly economically, not just since the 2008-2009 recession, but compared to urban economies going all the way back to the 1980s. So although rural counties might only represent about 20% of the U.S. population, according to the USDA, they play an outsized role in our elections. And I think we saw that In November, there's still way too much dependence in rural economies on single industries like agriculture or grazing or recreation or specialized manufacturing. And this makes rural economies a lot more prone to boom and bust cycles. So we see this dynamic where rural counties continue to lose population. Across the county, the wage gap between the urban and rural counties continues to grow. And this election really says that in our zeal to boost gross domestic product and economic opportunity at the state level since the recession, in many places, we've serially disinvested in strategies that boost opportunity in rural communities, and that has consequences. It's not just an economically unsustainable strategy, but increasingly, it's a politically unsustainable strategy as it drives polarization in our politics.
2: You brought up some some themes that came up in my conversation with Matt Dalby on on the last podcast. Matt, as a reminder for our listeners, is the director of the US EPA Office of Sustainable Communities. And he talked about the the over reliance on one to two industries and the fact that the recession really highlighted how risky um, that over reliance is. But as you said, that is the case in many rural regions. So what efforts are are you engaged in or are you seeing that are helping to diversify and grow rural economies
0: well i think there are a lot of things that we can do in rural regions that will really make a big difference and there are examples of organizations across the country doing those things but there needs to be a renewed focus on specific rural economic development strategies to diversify economies in rural regions and oftentimes that means a renewed focus on improving business technical assistance and not just through traditional venues like the service corps of Retired executives and small business development centers but kind of new networks for business development that include new economy industries things like maker spaces and co-working opportunities and distance learning centers and 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 that whole kind of emerging market of distributed economic development networks that are just beginning to reach into the rural regions, even though they've been quite prevalent in urban areas. I think another really big issue is improving access to capital in rural regions. Often, rural regions are dominated by small and medium-sized businesses, often with relatively small budgets, which means that they don't really make very good investment opportunities for venture capital funds or for large institutional investors. But bank credit and financing is increasingly difficult to get and requires quite a bit of collateral to get it. So this issue of creating funds for small business development that can be lent at essentially the micro enterprise level in amounts of anywhere from twenty five thousand to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars to help give businesses a boost up is a really is a really big issue. There really is a broadening crisis across the rural regions around broadband deployment and access to high speed communications. Like the the reality is, business can't live with six six down and one up, or six megabits per second down and one up to really develop. Online markets, to expand your markets beyond the rural community you live in, you need higher speeds than that to do distance learning and rural telemedicine, you need higher speeds than that. And we really haven't been focusing as much on that issue as we we probably should. So we're managing a rural broadband coalition in our region to try to increase speeds and improve access to broadband. And then I think a lot of the topics that are being addressed at the new Partners for Smart Growth Conference are, are really great opportunities for rural economic development. The reality is our rural regions provide so many of the ecosystem services that urban regions depend upon, carbon sequestration, water, climate mitigation, pollinators. And, and looking at this broader issue of how urban and rural work together in order to create resilience in the face of climate change to reduce risk is a real economic development opportunity in rural regions. Forest restoration, watershed restoration, land banking, all of the things that can actually lead to restoration economies on the ground, I think are a huge opportunity. So we focus a lot of our attention on trying to lift those industries up as well.
2: Thanks, Steve. So much in that answer, I want to pull on a few different threads. And I think I'll I'll start with this idea around our our shared resources around uh, watersheds and air basins and, and issues like forest management. Certainly, there is a connection in those areas between urban and rural regions. And I'm wondering from your perspective, from the more rural perspective, what can our metropolitan partners do to add visibility to those issues or to collaborate and be better partners. Um, unfortunately, it seems like a lot of times people are concerned about the connection or, or most aware of the connection when something is at risk. So, you know, Tahoe Rim Fire brought up a lot of issues around water quality for our metropolitan partners in the San Francisco region, for example. So how do we get more visibility around those connections when we're not in the middle of a crisis and start to develop more shared ownership?
0: Yeah, what a great question, because I do think that, you know, we are masters in our society of responding to a crisis, but terrible at avoiding the crisis, as we've seen with you know issues like climate change, but um, the the Rim Fire in Yosemite, I think, really provided a classic example of a major urban resource, which was San Francisco's metropolitan water supply, being at risk, and it beginning to open people's eyes to the point that. There is an intrinsically linked relationship between the urban and the rural around these provisioning services. And that those really need a highlight in the future in the face of in the face of climate change. I think there are a lot of people doing really good work around those issues. I, I think a great example would be, the Sacramento Region Council of Governments and their rural urban connection strategy, which is looking at agricultural land and agricultural land management and creating new markets for and localized markets for agricultural products that really link the urban consumer to the land that is provisioning their food and increasing the amount of food that's used within a local food shed rather than being used for Export. There are examples like the Alliance of Regional Collaboratives for Climate Adaptation in California that are talking about statewide climate adaptation strategies and looking at things like water supply. If you look at Los Angeles, San Diego, San Francisco, and even Sacramento, most of California's major urban areas are dependent upon rural, forested, and and watershed regions for for water supply and really i think it's just in the last decade with the increasing incidence of wildfire that they're beginning to recognize and understand that that this is a this has to be a cross kind of across the transect partnership in order to manage these watersheds in a way that they continue that provisioning service you know there's there's a lot of space out there for people who who have kind of a think tank approach and bring Data and information to the table, like the Bill Lane Center for the West and the Center for the American West at the University of Colorado at Boulder. There needs to be more emphasis on going from research and data to on the ground projects to actually working on projects where we measure the benefit from specific restoration activities and how that benefits urban stakeholders by either improving their water supply and resilience in the case of in the case of that threat or improving community health around food sheds we need to go from the think tank approach to the do tank approach i think there are examples of organizations like valley vision in sacramento who really build program that bridges the urban rural divide around these issues We try to participate with them as much as we can because they really get it. They get they get this connection. But we we really could do a lot more about this. I I would love it if someday everyone actually knew where their food came from, where their water came from, where (laughs) because I think that would immediately build a stronger relationship between rural and urban regions.
2: Yeah, and you think about the fact that there's been a a much stronger push to To knowing where your food's from and and having a strategy around local food, however you may define local, so you could imagine that we could have communication strategies around other resources as well. So I love that idea. I think you know one of the things that occurs to me as someone who grew up in a small town and who currently lives in an urban area, I think there's a certain smug factor that has really alienated a lot of rural regions who, you know, often get sort of urban solutions pushed at them. And so, you know, I think, just curious about your your comments on this, you threw out a, a lot of great ideas for how we can increase visibility around issues and to um, broaden the connection between rural and urban regions. But it seems to me part of it is finding a way to to get over preconceived notions and really be able to enter into a, a true partnership that acknowledges the the benefits that both sides bring to the table.
0: Wow. What a deep and nationally important question right now, I think. So I was born in an urban region, but spent most of my life as a child and all of my adult life in fundamentally rural regions. And frankly, most of my family lives in, in rural regions now. And I spend a lot of time traveling through the rural parts of the United States. And, you know, I really think that the first thing we need is is to begin investing in real understanding and, and dialogue. When When you get down to the values that people hold, values about family, about community, about Diversity, about opportunity, we're actually a lot more in alignment than our national politics reflex. And we don't really have as many venues anymore for that kind of across the urban, rural s- transect dialogue and discussion. I mean, it used to be most people who lived in urban regions had family who lived in rural regions, so they traveled back and forth between them. And today that's much less the case. The The reality is you can live in a major urban center, and unless you're doing it for some sort of of recreation or vacation, you seldom find yourself in rural America. So we need, we need to build kind of those connections. We need to build an institutional ethic that identifies that Urban prosperity and rural prosperity are really linked. We need to take personal responsibility for a civil society, reject those political messengers who play on that divide and demonize either rural or urban people, quite frankly. Like the boat, the, the, that demonization effect in American politics, media, and society, driven a lot now by social media as well really crosses you know that's one of the sad things that crosses the divide you can see demonization of the rural but you also see demonization of the urban in rural regions and i really think the only way we're going to get over that is to find opportunities to work together on projects that provide mutual benefit and build relationship but with you know with all of that said this is a really tough challenge like people in rural regions there is a smug factor, as you put it. You know, people in rural regions are disappointed with a good reason. They're, they're losing their health care. Their schools are underperforming. Their average median income is declining. And often, I hear the question put to me from urban America: "Is you know, hey, why don't your people just move to where the jobs are? And why aren't they going to college? Aren't they really just?" kind of left behind by desire and I, I really don't think that's the case I, I think that there's an underlying class issue here that we very seldom talk about in the United States we like to think of ourselves as a classless society but you know the reality is the working class in urban and rural regions is is losing position losing economic opportunity losing political power and and it seems to me that there's a lot more we have in common across that kind of cross-cultural kind of economic justice issue than, than divides urban and rural. I think we should be focusing on that. We should be focusing on the point that we have in this country a relatively strong and growing working and underclass that is not getting the opportunity it deserves and we need an urban rural economic justice coalition and approach to that in order to in order to address those issues.
2: I think that's right and I think key to social mobility is having a sense of agency and I'd love to go back to some of your your comments at the beginning of the podcast about being able to connect entrepreneurs to capital and to be able to provide spaces for that creative outlet to, to really have an agency in one's own destiny. And I'd love for you to share maybe just a couple of the the top ideas from the, the Tahoe Pitch showcase that you previously talked to me about. I think that's just a, a really exciting example of some really positive things happening to build capacity in rural regions. I think we often think about innovation coming from metropolitan areas. So I'd love to take this chance to highlight some great things happening in your region.
0: This isn't really a new idea. It's one of the oldest ideas in the world that people who have really good ideas for businesses or investments need venues in order to pitch it to capital. And what we've been working on first in the Tahoe and Truckee region of California, but hopefully we'll be spreading it across the Sierra Nevada, is is actually identifying those businesses or social enterprises that have a really good idea, working with them in advance to provide deep technical assistance. So this includes things like business planning, financial planning, maybe market research for products, you know, the the infrastructure that's necessary in order to make an idea investor ready and working with them as a team to improve each other's products through a series of kind of facilitated workshops where they're where they're critiquing each other's ideas and products and then making them better and then putting them together with pools of investment capital whether that be from individual institutions or pooled community capital funds or others in order to in order to actually deliver their pitch and, you know we initially thought there weren't going to be that many people who could be investor ready in our region and we were shocked to discover that the demand for this pitch camp was actually a lot higher <laughs> higher than we thought it would be and the ability of people to bring their products up to the point where they were investor ready was <laughs> was higher than we thought it would be. So we ended up putting, I think it was 12 ideas in front of a room with about 150 people representing kind of pooled investment funds and people from the community and others and having them do their, do their pitches. And since... Since we held that event in early September, I think it was September 11th, those businesses have been meeting with those pooled capital funds in order to come up with agreements to invest in the development. Of their products, which I think is really exciting. And it's an example of how you can take a simple idea, you know, simple enough that it's kind of like Shark Tank on TV, right? <laughs> but by just providing the technical assistance and the access to the capital, having an intermediary that can play that role, that you can really lift up some of these entrepreneurial ideas in rural communities and get them, get them in front of Investors. If we can do that in the North Truckee region, we can do it in four or five other areas of the of the Sierra. And by doing it on a regular basis, it really makes a big difference in job creation and bringing capital into the region. So,
2: what did you see that really excited you about the ideas that were put forth?
0: I, I think well, there were a couple of things that really excited me about them. So, one of them is that. So I'm I'm 58 years old. And I remember when I was in my 20s, almost every idea was about making money. And the funny thing is, is that almost every idea today has some sort of triple bottom line connection to it. It is not just about making money. It's about solving some kind of social or environmental problem and reinvesting in communities. So almost every proposal was really looking at business development through this lens Of essentially improving something, and or reinvesting in local communities as a key strategy for economic sustainability and resilience, and that is just so rewarding to see that change occurring. And you know, I would say that's coming. I mean, I hate to be an ageist, especially since I'm going to be critiquing my own baby boomer generation. I think that's coming from the millennial generation that's saying, "Hey, we want more out of business," which is a great thing to be to be demanding. So that was one really kind of interesting thing I saw. The second interesting thing I saw was the number of people in the communities who actually want to participate and watch the pitch. Like when you really think about it, how boring is it to watch someone say, hey, here's why you should invest in my business or product, right? You know, it kind of 25 years ago, that would have been like, you know, a, a pyramid sales scheme or something, right? Here we had 150 people in the room saying, hey, "I want to watch this because I think it's really exciting that people are doing these cool things in my community." And that—that that, to me, I just got such a charge out of seeing that, knowing that was, knowing that was going on, that there was this much excitement around the idea.
2: Wow, that's very inspiring and really gives me a lot of hope to hear that. So unfortunately, we're out of time, Steve, but before wrapping up, I wanted to give you an opportunity to share where people can find out more about your work.
0: Yeah, sure. Our organization is the Sierra Business Council. Our website is sierrabusiness.org and we really specialize in kind of this business innovation, climate adaptation and and mitigation and advocating on behalf of of our region. So we welcome contact there and hope to see all of you at the New Partners for Smart Growth Conference next spring.
2: Great, Steve. Thank you so much for joining us. You always have a lot of great insight to offer on what are really complex issues. So thank you. And thank you all for listening. We look forward to seeing you next time on Infinite Earth Radio.